0: This is Sovereign Debt, a podcast on greening the global economy and debt sustainability. I'm your host, Jill Doshi. So hello, everyone. Um, We've been talking a lot on this podcast about the Nature Conservancy's recent support of a debt for nature swap in Belize, uh, which really has set the pace uh, for transactions going forward, um, linking sovereign debt to climate and nature outcomes. But many of us remember that before there was Belize, there was the Seychelles. And today we are super excited to have Jean-Paul Adam, uh, former Minister of Finance of Seychelles and now uh, Director of Technology, Climate Change and Natural Resource Management of the United Nations Economic Council for Africa, or UNECA. So thank you, Jean-Paul, for joining us here today.
1: Thanks, Jill. It's uh, great to be here. And I'm sorry that in the UN we've got such long titles. <laughs> I'm going to be really happy to talk about my past experience and what we're doing going forward.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it sounds like you have quite the portfolio of UNECA. So um, we, will, we will get into that.
1: In the current context, um, as in fact, a yeah, few of my colleagues have said, um, we, we are essentially the directory for everything because everything's going through climate right now. Um, and I would say logically so.
0: Right, right. So, but before we get to the UNECA portfolio, I want to dial back a few years back to, I think it was 2015, when Seychelles really was breaking new ground in its debt for nature swap. That was a huge success in terms of conservation. I think it was 30% of your ocean footprint, if I can call it that, of Seychelles was put under protection. The deal, like Belize, was supported by the Nature Conservancy. However, it was a very different transaction uh, since it was swapping debt that was owed to the Paris Club creditors and did not involve commercial creditors or uh, bonds. Can you walk us through that transaction?
1: Sure. I mean, it was, it was a very uh, a very exciting process to be involved in. And uh, perhaps just to highlight that um, I, I started uh, being involved in that first as the foreign minister. So I wasn't the finance minister when we started the conversation with the Nature Conservancy. And at that point, it was really just an idea. Uh, And the uh, the idea was recognizing that Seychelles had gone through a very bad experience um, after the financial crash of 2008. Um, The the country had essentially defaulted on its debt in 2008 and uh, was actually bouncing back very effectively around 2010, 2011, when we started the conversations with the TNC. Uh, but had very little access to to capital, uh, and essentially there were different reasons for that. Partly, Seychelles had graduated to become not only middle income but a high income country, uh, and that meant not able to access the typical uh, developing country finance such as IDA, which is under the World Bank, um, and even organisations such as the European Union. Um, or even USAID would consider Seychelles as not a priority country for for support. And so while the economic fundamentals were improving, uh, there was no spare money to invest in new things. And for a long time, um, Seychelles had prided itself on being a conservation leader. Uh, 50% of the land territory had been put under conservation a few years before. Uh, and the next logical phase was to look at protecting the marine area, which was much, much larger. Seychelles covers one point three million square kilometers. It has less than one hundred thousand people, but to put that in perspective, that's three times the size of Germany. right wow. so it's it's a very big oceanic space and one thing to protect that was challenging in an environment where you have no, no additional flows of finance, and mm-hmm. essentially um, reorganized your your debt, but there's no flows, there's very limited additional flows that you can invest in in new things. And that's where the debt swap was really interesting, because it could create a new flow of finance. Uh, And particularly going to something that was identified as a priority, and a priority not only from the perspective of the conservation impacts, but the link that it had with Seychelles Tourism brand, which was one of barefoot Mm. luxury Associated with uh, uh, you know a pristine environment, uh, and so there there were a lot of uh, uh, there was a lot of value I would say in the in the idea. Uh, the big difference, um, particularly with the Belize deal, is that Seychelles, at the point that we actually went to do that swap in 2015, was not in debt distress. Or mm-hmm. you know I mean Belize, um, the uh, their euro bonds were trading uh, on cents on the dollar because of you know. Uh, a feeling that it was unviable, and that essentially meant that the uh, the, the the debt buyback could be done uh, relatively cheaply because the the uh, the people holding the debt felt that they could get a good deal by by selling even uh, less than they perhaps had originally anticipated. In the context of Seychelles, it was different because the the default that happened in two thousand and eight uh, had triggered a, a first debt restructuring that had already taken place. Uh, okay. And even in, in, at that point, uh, that debt restructuring was finalized in 2010. And when that debt restructuring was done, Seychelles had been given a haircut at that point. So, that's, so essentially, when Seychelles went for its actual debt swap mm-hmm. five years later in 2015, it was in a very stable situation. The uh, uh, fiscal surplus was above 5% of GDP. Uh, debt was being paid on time. Debt had been reduced uh, uh, dramatically, and the the goal of the debt swap was simply to get some fiscal space um, and finance this uh, environmental uh, investment. The uh, so so the circumstances were were different, and because Seychelles had already had, um, as the Paris Club put it, a bite of the cherry in 2010, the second bite was going to be less consequential, meaning there would be less haircuts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only way that concessionality could be achieved would be by the nature conservancy agreeing to essentially take a lower uh, return. So essentially, we swapped higher-priced debt, which was mm-hmm. averaging uh, at above seven percent on average, uh, for lower-priced debt, which was restructured at around three uh, percent. And the difference, and so the difference in what was being paid uh, in uh, uh, in interest. Was then uh, committed to be invested in the uh, creation of the marine protected area. So the sums were small because uh, we were essentially dealing with um, a small amount of debt- debtors that were willing to, to participate because they didn't feel um, obligated or that it was um, that they had any fi- financial incentive to participate. Uh, and mm-hmm. so it was essentially, I would say, political will of the of the, the creditors. Uh, wanting to to participate. Of course, they didn't lose because the debt was bought back. Uh, and right. the, uh, 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 well, apart from, you know, in the future, but in the immediate, they didn't, uh, they, they got a payment. Up but front. it wasn't bought back at a significant discount. There was It was bought back at less than, I think it was about 5% discount. And that discount was achieved mm-hmm. um, purely through the support of France. Um, basically, one of the creditors agreed to give a bit more. Um, uh, and to create an overall concessionality. Um, and uh, the But the discount was, was minimal, and the main saving was achieved through the support of the Nature Conservancy. Okay. But why was this still, uh, even though the, the amount was small, why was it still interesting for Seychelles? Because it did create that new flow of finance, which wasn't there before, and regular and dependable, and money that was earmarked specifically for marine conservation. Uh, and it, it it met a lot of those it, it wasn't enough to pay for the whole uh, marine spatial plan, uh, mm-hmm. but it was a sizable component, and it created, as I said, that predictability of, of flows. The second the advantage from the perspective of the the fiscal situation was in terms of the balance of payments, it was not inconsequential because also the debt was converted into local currency, so all of the debt repayment was then moved into <sighs> into local currency. So even though the overall amount was uh, relatively uh, small, you've got to keep in mind this is a country of less than 100,000 people. And uh, when you're creating a flow, uh, a regular flow of hundreds of thousands of dollars going into the environment, and plus this is money that is no longer leaving the country for exchange, country. Okay. Uh, it has it has actually a, a a much more sizable benefit than you would see in the monetary sum. So, mm. uh, but I think the the main the main big thing that it uh, it changed was creating that flow of predictable finance into uh, marine conservation, which just wasn't there before.
0: I mean that's fascinating. so so in from a from a debt you know sustainability perspective, it wasn't really a huge impact, although like you said it it converted it into a local currency. so like in other words, the the obligation of the state to to continue to shell out money was still there. But it was now earmarked for conservation rather than, as you say, leaving the country. And the terms were a little bit more advantageous because it was in local currency and you know, being reinvested in, in
1: the economy. That's right. Uh, and the, the other aspect I think that's um, because, I, again, I, I should stress Seychelles was not in debt distress. And if we had gone to do the debt swap in 2008, yeah. Um, I mean, timing was not aligned. Um, we would have probably been able to to do, you know, probably close to four hundred million uh, dollars worth or so, because that was what we restructured in two thousand and ten. So mm-hmm. the uh, um, uh, and that would have been uh, hugely interesting. Um, right. The the reality was that we weren't ready at that point. Uh, we hadn't had the conversations with the nature conservancy uh, and the. Uh, um the, the, the other aspect which um, is, I think, very important to, uh, uh, to, to keep in mind is that we, we had always wanted uh, to generate these funds going into uh, marine conservation. So it was, it was something that was uh, planned and then it was a question of trying to find how to finance it. And what we eventually got in terms of the flow of funds was only a portion of what we needed. But it created a momentum. So for example, the debt swap was a direct precursor to then eventually issuing a blue bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. It, it, uh, it reasserted uh, Seychelles um, both conservation bona fides, but also it, um, it, it, made a, it created awareness of Seychelles as well in the market. And people who were involved in that uh, sustainable finance space. Uh, it made people sit up and they saw, oh, this has happened. That's interesting. And we'd immediately, when we concluded the debt swap, we'd started the conversation with the World Bank uh, about a blue bond, mm-hmm. and uh, the the interest was uh, was I would say uh, you know continuous uh, from that. And we also attracted um, uh, benefactors, uh, philand- other philanthropists that were also interesting interested in supporting the the, the process and the uh, the whole uh, process that was associated with the creation of the marine protected area which has been done now, it's, it's, it's in place. It's a marine protected area of, of uh, over 400,000 square kilometers. Uh, it's the second largest in the Indian Ocean. I think it's in the top five largest in the world. Uh, so it's, it's a very big uh, marine protected area. And there's a flow of resources, which is, you know, for 20 years,
0: mm-hmm. uh, locked
1: in uh, supporting that process. Even if it's not 100% of the budget for that, mm-hmm. marine, uh, uh, that marine protected area, uh, it's a anchor finance, which has, I would say, acted as a magnet to bring in other finance.
0: And I think that's a really important point because sometimes people criticize the Seychelles deal by saying, Oh, it was so small. And like you said, it wasn't a very big discount or it didn't have a yes. big impact on, on the debt picture of Seychelles. But from a conservation perspective, it was enormous. And like you said, creating that momentum and creating a whole kind of governance around conservation and creating a narrative for future you know, investors and, and other
1: transactions it was important. And I, and I fully understand that, that criticism because I think a lot of the people are looking at this deal primarily from the, from the financials. Uh, and I would say the real uh, goal is to look at it from the perspective of what we wanted to achieve in the first place. Mm-hmm. And what we wanted to achieve was uh, a marine protected area. Uh, and then there's the question of whether you do it, um, whether you try to, and then there's different ways that you can try and finance it. Some countries try to finance it through a tax on airline tickets and so on. Because we're a tourism destination, that really wasn't, wasn't viable. Um, we we knew that we'd have a lot of challenges in terms of, of implementing something like that. Um, and the, the goal was uh, to create a marine protected area and to create a flow of income that would make that uh, possible. And, that, and that's been uh, achieved. So I think we've got to go back to what, what um, I think if you're doing a, a, a debt swap purely for the, the fiscal reasons, and there are very good fiscal reasons, and certainly in Seychelles, the balance of payments advantage was not uh, inconsequential. Right. Uh, it was, you know, it was it was actually very meaningful because it, it's a small country and mm-hmm. a change in flows of just a few hundred thousand dollars um actually has has impact.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh so the um the, the 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 fiscal benefits and the balance of payments benefits were were certainly uh part of it, but the main goal uh it all started with the goal of marine conservation. And from that perspective, um I think. It would always be great, great if we had if we were able to do for for more money,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: ultimately Seychelles had already done a re- debt restructuring. So a lot of the fiscal uh, typical fiscal arguments and, for example, what Belize was able to do, uh, Seychelles was not able to bring to the table. Uh, and uh, the uh, but what I think is is positive as well is that debt swaps therefore are not only for those who are in debt distress, and I think that's very important going forward because exactly. there are some. That I know of that are interested in the debt swap, but they're worried about what perception this brings to the market. Mm-hmm. And what we saw in the Seychelles case um, that less than six months after the debt swap, we were actually upgraded in terms of uh, the uh, uh, in terms of the rating agency. It was Fitch that did the rating at that time, and mm-hmm. they they actually gave Seychelles an upgrade, not purely on the basis of the debt swap because it was a small uh, transaction. But they did recognize that balance of payment issues were one of the the biggest risks for the country because of the lack of diversification, and therefore any advantage that you gained on the balance of payments was 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 very it's meaningful uh, was right. very important and meaningful, yes
0: interesting so i mean I think you've you've highlighted some very important reasons why we need to continue to look at the Seychelles deal and look at for for these precedents and see how we can replicate it in, in other places for either countries that are in debt distress or, or or otherwise, like you say. And that kind of leads me to my next question, because you and I collaborated on a recent publication that was a, a how-to guide for sovereign debt managers of um, how to link financial transactions for, for sovereigns to climate and nature outcomes. And we tried to distill somewhat based on your experience, but try to distill this very complicated process into what we came down to as seven clear steps. And we don't have to go into each step, but I would like to kind of pick your brain and and ask you to give some advice to those debt managers who are thinking of such transactions like you said, where do you begin, and how do you how do you start this? What are the first steps for countries, like you say, whether they're in debt distress or otherwise, that are thinking this might be a really good way, as as you say, of to kind of meet our conservation goals and and address kind of climate and nature challenges, as well as perhaps helping the debt picture.
1: I I, I always uh, and I've spoken to quite a few people about this, obviously. Um, I think it's always good to start not with not with the debt question, but the question of what you as a country want to do. What's mm-hmm. the missing link? What's what's the what's the achievement that you that you want to achieve? And where is there a gap in terms of funding uh, that you really feel uh, you need to, to address? And that's difficult to meet in terms of your current fiscal uh, situation. And there are a lot of Countries that face these issues. So, there are even countries that are technically um, relatively well off, but what they find in terms of their fiscal revenues, they're all locked in. Uh, Portions are locked into pensions, Um, listen, large civil services, teachers, army, police, you name it, right? Uh, A lot of the time, revenues may even be growing, but they're locked into expenses that are very difficult to change in terms of budgets. Um, and, I, and most finance ministers know that your first challenge is that you need to uh, match what's coming in with what you're spending. And then and sometimes you do have to, to cut spending. And when you have to cut spending, it's very, very hard, uh, particularly if it's programs that have existed for years and years. And often if it, and if it involves layoffs, and it's very, very complicated. And usually the environment and conservation is low down in terms of a list of priorities for new finance. And this is why I think uh, conservation-type projects are particularly well-suited for dead swaps, but they are not exclusively. We're, we're currently also working uh, with, with Jordan that potentially want to do one on water, for example, mm-hmm. and I think that makes a lot of sense uh, as well. But I do think the first thing, the first guidance always is start with what you want and what, what you feel is currently missing and, and what you would like to fund. And then I I think the other key uh, uh, messages from the debt swap, uh, for, from the, the paper that we've uh, shared and the guide that we've shared is uh, you really want to uh, structure yourself uh, nationally. You want to make sure that there is appropriate buy-in from all the, all the partners. You, you, you need um, ministers of finance, ministers of environment, uh, and, and uh, in many cases, other ministries as well to be, to be on board. Uh, you need to make sure that there's a the full understanding that everybody's on the speaking from the same uh, the, the same set of notes and that everyone is clear on on what uh, uh, needs to be uh, achieved. And it's once you've got all of that in place, uh, identifying what are the indicators, what are the, the marks of success for your transaction. And again, I would tend to focus on the, the goal should be, I mean, there will be fiscal benefits, but it's better to, to focus on the sustainability benefits first.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the fiscal benefits, in a sense, flow from that. Uh, and the uh, and what we've seen also in the Seychelles example is that uh, there has been, as with the marine protected area, you've seen uh, increases in, for example, marine-based tourism. Uh, there's a lot more focus on that in terms of the marketing. There's uh, even in terms of uh fishing it's led to specific projects around uh management of uh, of stocks uh focusing on future yields uh and looking at the the issue of pricing for fishing fishermen, for fishing entrepreneurs uh which is something which is obviously often a, a case of a lot of instability and in the context of of marine conservation you can actually provide um quite good and surprisingly good benefits uh, also for, uh, for fishing entrepreneurs, because often you can, you can create more reliable sources of income. Uh, and the, so I think that the key to the guide is you start with what you want. You have very good coordination uh, locally. You're clear on the indicators, and that gives you the platform to then talk to creditors. And I think that's a sort of universal uh, pathway. There will be slight differences for a country that's in debt distress. There's obviously a much, much uh, more uh, sense of urgency. And probably you can achieve more in terms of the financing. And therefore, also, you might wish to have more than one area of intervention as well. Uh, And uh, for countries that are not in debt distress, I think you can really do something that's bespoke. Uh, And, uh, of course, the risk is the the high transaction costs in terms of time and so on, which certainly in the Seychelles case, because it hadn't been done done before in the context of ocean conservation, uh, and uh, the, the engagement with the Paris Club was, was very uh, uh, substantial and time-consuming. But what I see as one of the things that can really change is that we're, we're now in a situation where the IMF is talking about it, the World Bank is talking about it. If we have a framework that simply says the debt swaps are an uh, absolutely a viable form of uh, uh, from two angles a form of debt restructuring and a form of development finance mm-hmm. and then let countries that are still that are in a position to do so to have a pathway that's clear it would then the 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 cost will dramatically be be reduced the cost in terms of time and in terms of of resources and then it simply becomes part of your your fiscal process I would say
0: I was going to ask another question while you were talking but then then I'm thinking that I, I want to skip to this one which is, what is UNECA doing in this space or even the UN kind of more broadly? I mean, is this something when you're talking about these kind of global frameworks, is this something that the UN could be involved in or is looking at? And and UNECA has been has been a, a really kind of a, a leading voice for the continent. In this kind of pandemic era, if we can call it that, um, and it has really been kind of leading the charge of kind of innovations and new ideas, uh, and coordinating its, its member countries, is this something that UNECA is is interested in looking at?
1: Absolutely, and because we we can't deal with the the response to the pandemic or to climate change if we don't deal with the issue of physical space, and if we don't deal with the issue of debt. Uh, the, in the context of this pandemic, African countries' debt has risen probably proportionally more than probably any other region. Um, the, the debt was only just over about 50% of GDP pre pandemic, uh, but it was rising very fast, it has to be said, even before the pandemic. And it's shot up to well over 70% on average. And the problem in particular is those countries that are in debt distress, because those that are in debt distress in Africa, have uh, a very difficult situation where they are in debt distress, they have very limited diversification in their economies, uh, and they're often dependent on uh, external aid or external external flows of finance, remittances and the like, which are severely uh, affected in the context of the the pandemic. So you've got this low growth, high debt, perfect storm, which is brewing. And and
0: they're also the stewards of like an enormous natural capital. When we're we're thinking of like
1: the Congo Basin. or The Congo Basin, uh, just the Congo Basin, holds the equivalent of three years' worth of global emissions. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Three years' worth of what the world emits in its entirety. And Africa currently, even though Africa has the highest rate of forest cover in all the continents, original forest cover, it also has the fastest rate of deforestation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's because of lack of access to energy, so you have large number of people that depend on firewood and so forth and also agricultural practices that are associated with uh, that and also the impact of climate change. Mm-hmm. So all of those mean that the rate of deforestation in Africa is very, very fast. And the problem is that uh, peatlands such as the Congo, the, this huge the second largest carbon sink in the world after the Amazon, if you have a, a rate of deforestation which is too fast, right. then it turns from a carbon sink to a carbon emitter and all of that carbon that is stored starts to become emi- it starts to be emitted and then you actually have an acceleration of climate change, which is even worse so the 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 urgency of having nature-based solutions that are financed in Africa is is actually very very important and the good news as well is that when done right, and I would cite the Seychelles example, it creates jobs, it creates livelihoods. Um, it's linked to um, uh, other opportunities um, for sustainable finance that will uh, that, that that are are linked to that. Uh, well, because it's
0: also based into the local communities, right? And you're creating jobs, exactly. and there's exactly. a huge social. I mean, we're talking about climate and nature, but. What I think we have to be careful and make sure that we constantly highlight is the human element in all of this too, is that once we address the conservation, we're addressing indigenous people, we're in local communities, uh, as you were talking about the entrepreneurs of fishing or or the farmers, you know, it's really a a social impact as well.
1: Exactly. And the... There's a lot of um, uh, opportunities to create um, employment and livelihood opportunities around uh, these high biodiversity areas. Uh, you can do climate smart agriculture in buffer areas around um, pristine forests, uh, and there are some good examples actually being done in Africa, but which need to be upscaled. And this mm-hmm. is the precisely this kind of activity. And you've got you've got examples um, in countries like Senegal where they're replanting mangroves. They're already doing this even without with a very very limited financing. Uh, and when you replant mangroves, you get a double benefit. You create protection against uh, erosion from, mm-hmm. from the sea, but you also create habitats for fishery production. Uh, and so you, you directly link to future yields um, for, for fishing uh, communities in those areas. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a virtuous circle that, is, that can be very easily built uh, by investing in these areas. The big problem African countries have is the flow of resources into these areas. Exactly. which currently is very limited quite often it's dependent on ngos essentially uh, mm-hmm. that are often are, are uh, that have very limited funds uh, and the resources are not predictable so you may have mangrove planting that happens for a season uh, but then those resources dry up and then uh, it's difficult to sustain it in the in the longer term uh, and that's one of the big advantages of the social Seychelles, Seychelles Swap. you've got certain resources allocated, guaranteed for 20 years mm-hmm. uh, into this uh, whole process. Uh, the same with Belize. By doing this arrangement, they have locked in resources to fund one of the areas which initially does not look, for, for some uh, economists, you might say, well, this is not contributing to GDP, but actually it's one of the biggest contributors to GDP. And you know, natural capital accounting shows that. So the... Um, I I think really that, uh, so so to go back to what UNECA is doing, sorry, I went a little bit on a tangent. Um, We are actively supporting a few countries in West Africa that are interested. Um, We're working with Cabo Verde uh, that are actually in quite an advanced uh, position in terms of discussing a debt swap with their creditors. They've got clear ideas on what they want to do around, uh, around the blue economy and protecting their oceanic space and linking that again with the tourism industry. Um, We're working with Senegal that are, so uh, if we go back to Cabo Verde, they are precisely in a situation where they have uh, high debt, over 100% of debt to GDP ratio. And again, they are, they are middle income uh, and struggling to get additional finance. And the prime minister of of Cabo Verde put it extremely well in Glasgow, where he said, uh, we can't borrow anymore because we've reached the ceiling in terms of borrowing. We get very limited grants because of our GDP per capita ratio. Mm -hmm. And we have very limited diversification in the local economy, which is essentially based around tourism, which is extremely affected by the pandemic. So if we don't deal with this issue of debt, what we're saying is we're not going to develop or invest in anything for a number of years because there's no, there's no, there's no additional revenue to be invested anywhere. Uh, and so unless you, you find a, an innovative solution for this debt, you're essentially um, pressing pause or worse, going into, re- or going into reverse. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and I
1: think that's, that's the number of countries in Africa faced with this dilemma. And this is why quite a few countries at COP26 spoke about it. And UNECA, we want to help them specifically uh, work with them in terms of how they might um, uh, create the, the offer in terms of a, a debt swap vis-à-vis their, their creditors. A few countries that mentioned this in the past, to Ghana, Namibia, as examples. Uh, and uh, we, we look forward to be able to working with them uh, around uh, how they could potentially uh, do a debt swap. I think what we really need as well is a clear signal from uh, the multilateral development finance institutions uh, to say that this is on the table. It's not necessarily something that's right for every country, but it is a solution which I would say takes some countries out of of this development limbo. So you've got countries like Pablo Verde. They were doing well before Mm -hmm. the pandemic. They they are highly vulnerable because of the lack of diversification, so they don't have a million flows of income. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But they were essentially bankable before this. Right, then, the, the, but with a high debt, and you, by doing this you can actually, even by creating a little bit of space, um, you know even 25 uh, percent, let's say, a reduction in debt, you can create a huge impact in terms of where those flows of investment can go, particularly linking it with, uh, with the tourism sector, uh, investing in conservation, but with, with uh, ramifications and impacts across the tourism sector.
0: No, absolutely. And I, and I think we do need that leadership from the global institutions, whether it's the UN, World Bank, IMF, etc. Um, just really um, providing also uh, capacity building and support and, and hopefully also helping the sponsors of these um, transactions to go forward. So I, I am conscious of our time, but I want to give you the last word. Um, is there anything else that you want to warn the debt managers about? Any pitfalls that you experienced that you'd say, you know, kind of here's a, here's a red flag, you know, beware of this or any other last words of wisdom for either debt managers in Africa or even more broadly, any country that is feeling vulnerable to,
1: to climate change? I think when you start with a clear idea of what you want to achieve, uh, and you're clear on where you want to invest, then that helps the process. Most of the conversations we had around the debt swap were about conservation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and that's something that even the most hardened banker uh, struggles to come up with arguments to say no to. Uh, and so the narrative around what you want to do, if it's about investing in conservation, it's if, if it's about investing in access to water, um, access to affordable healthcare. These are narratives which, which ultimately will drive the success. If it's well-designed in terms of what you're trying to achieve, then uh, you then also have the options to, to look at the different ways. So uh, for some countries, if you're not in debt distress, you might have the opportunity to issue a sustainability bond, a green bond, a blue bond. Um, you may not wish to do it through a uh, through, uh, debt operation. Uh, and certainly in the conversations we're having um, with African countries, uh, there are some countries that are saying, well, this could be a way to be our first transaction in, in, in uh, the sovereign's market. And I think that makes a lot of sense. So I think the, uh, the main advice I would give is to, to really focus on where are the gaps in terms of where you want to invest? What are the multiplier effects that this brings into your economy? And that then logically allows you to identify your performance indicators. And then I would say the fiscal benefits flow almost automatically from there. And you, you get a number of benefits. You get, uh, you get in many, in many cases, you might be able to get this uh, big debt reduction, as was the case of Belize. And in all scenarios, if done well, you get a huge balance of payments boost. So start with what you want. Start with what makes the difference. Awesome.
0: Thank you so much, Jean-Paul. I really appreciate you taking the time and I look forward to working with you on implementing some of these deals. Let's, Let's get to work.
1: Absolutely, Joe.
0: Thank you for listening. We'll be off for the next two weeks to celebrate the holidays, but we'll be back in the new year with more episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Happy holidays!